Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. It's another in the series of a point from a proverb. Various people have given me proverbs that they enjoy, and I take the time to talk about them. If you still have some that you like and you would like to hand me, I would be glad to take them and consider them for the future. This one is, and I have entitled it this way, How to Love a Child. That's sort of strange, isn't it? I mean, I remember being a kid, and I remember when my parents got on me, and I didn't go, oh, thank you, Dad, you love me so much. I don't recall saying that. I don't recall when things were not exactly what I wanted them to be because they were the way he wanted them to be. I would say, that's okay, Dad, because I know you love me so much. I just don't really remember being that way as a kid, but I get it as a parent. I get it as a grandparent. I get it as an adult. I want us to think today about what it means using this passage as the writer gives us an idea about the concept of loving a child through the word discipline. Now you might think, well, loving a child, you got to teach somebody how to do that? I mean, doesn't that come naturally? Well, there might have a natural emotion or an affection or a connection that comes from having a child, but you got to learn how to love properly. We have the idea there are some, it seems to me, that have some really odd views of how to love a child. How to give them a disciplined life. And we're going to think about that. And, and we're going to see what it really means in this text to discipline. So think with me, if you will, for just a few minutes about some odd views of loving a child. In 1 Kings chapter 1 in verse 6, we find a story about the end of King David's life. And he is sick, and he's in the bed. And his son, Adonijah, says, verse 5, I will be king. And he, the Bible says, he arranged for himself chariots and fifth men to run before him. And then in parentheses, verse 6 says, for his father never rebuked him, saying, why have you done this? And he was very good looking. Now, I find that fascinating. He throws that right in there. And notice what it says, King David, one of the great kings of God's people, 
One of the kings that we would look at and think, that is a man that is great because even God says, he is the man after my own heart. Acts verse, uh, chapter 13. But he did not rebuke his son. I don't know exactly what was going on. I don't know exactly what he was doing or had done. We get an indication based on what's going on in this text, what might have been their life together. Maybe he pursued things that were just not right. Maybe he thought, I am so good looking and everybody loves me and I am the king's son. I can do what I want to do. I can just get away with this or I can get away with that. And I can see the mind of a child going that way, especially as that child grows into those teen years. And all of a sudden it hits. And now, as one comedian said, children, why don't you move out now while you know everything? Because that's how kids sometimes come across. We know it all. Maybe that was Adonijah. He knew it all. He had it all figured out. But notice, David, do you think he loved his son? Do you think he cared about his son? But he never rebuked him. To rebuke someone means I'm going to stop you in your tracks. Right there where you are, just stop. Cut it off. And he did not do that. Yet, I can't imagine that David did not love his son. Here's another one. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 29, the text is talking to Samuel about or talking to Eli, the priest, where Samuel was living. But Eli, the priest, had some sons. And God came to him and talked to him. He said, Eli, why do you honor your sons more than you honor me? And you are getting fat off of the sacrifices of my people. The priests were cared for by the people. The priestly tribe was given no land for them to raise gardens and such. So when the people came to offer sacrifices, the priests got part of that. So if they came and they brought a bird in a sacrifice, the priest would get one of the legs and that would be part of his payment. And that's how things went with the priest. And now God says to Eli, you honor your sons more than you honor me. They regarded themselves too highly. And Eli did the same. There are parents who think so much of their children, hold them in such high regard that they can't even see a problem 
that those children might be experiencing. It causes trouble in the home. It causes trouble in school. It causes trouble in society. Do you think Eli loved his sons? I'm sure he did. But then why would he hold them in such high regard that they felt like they could do nothing wrong? Why did he give them an inflated opinion of themselves? They, he loved his sons. But that's an odd way to do it. Finally, third, in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, again to Eli, God says to him, you know what? Your sons are now going to die because you, they have been made themselves vile and you did not restrain them. To restrain means to slow them down because they are out of control. Just hold on a minute. Step back. Wait a minute. Be patient. These sons, when the battle came, decided, ah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, in the most holy place, and we're going to take it out to the battle. And surely, because the Ark is there, God will win the battle for us. But Eli did not say, whoa, wait a minute, stop, hold back up. This is not how we do things. This is not right. Slow down. I'm sure that David loved his sons. I'm sure that Eli loved his sons. But notice what they became. And part of it was placed on the parent, the father, who had apparently an odd view of how to love a child. But now we turn to the text of Proverbs 13 and 24. The wise man said, here is how you love a child. If you hold back your rod, you hate him. But if you love him, you will discipline him promptly. We give it these words. Spare the rod and spoil the son. Now, I understand that in discipline, everybody has the way they do it. And as long as discipline is taking place, then there isn't so much a right or wrong. I mean, I grew up in an era when spanking was the thing. Many of you did too. I even had two paddlings in school. But it was all the teacher's fault. We all know that, right? I know what it's like to grow up in that era. Many of you do too. And, and that's 
the way some parents discipline. Others have other techniques like I'm taking your stuff. TV, phone. I'm taking your favorite toy. I'm going to take things away from you because you need to be disciplined. Others send a time out and you need to sit down and calm yourself. You need to back up. I need you to sit and think about what you have done. Maybe write out what you've done. Or like we used to do, you remember many of kids may not have ever even seen a chalkboard. I promise I will not talk when the teacher's talking. I promise I will not talk when the teacher's talking. And you write that the whole time that the kids are out in recess. Is it because parents and teachers don't love children? I think parents become parents because they love children. I think teachers teach because they love children. But love requires discipline. But now wait a minute. Until I read this verse... And until I did some research, I didn't really understand what Solomon was saying. Because when it says, if you love them, you will discipline them promptly. We have translated it with the word discipline. But that's not the original word. And the original word, I think, is quite interesting. The word means literally to pursue diligently. If you love your child, you will pursue them diligently. Now, when we think of discipline, we're thinking about different kinds, as I said, of corrective act of actions. But Solomon is talking about a little bit of a different emphasis. I think Solomon is saying, parents... If you love your child, you need to pursue them diligently. In other words, you need to keep your eyes open. You need to be aware of what your children are doing. You need to be aware of who they are with, where they have been, what kinds of things are they doing you need to keep your eyes open. Pursue them diligently. Because if you don't have your eyes on them, how are you going to take corrective action? Pursue them diligently. Start right now. Don't let a child get many years into his or her life before learning what it means to be a disciplined person. To pursue diligently means right now. 
If your child is newborn or about to be born, do you have plans in place that say, here's what we're going to do, and here are the things that we're going to set in place? Because that's a part of a disciplined life. Parents need to know, make sure the children know where the boundaries are. Pursue them diligently. Show them exactly where they can and cannot be. I'm a firm believer that God expects parents to set boundaries. And he expects children to test boundaries. That's what they're supposed to do. It's okay. You know why it's okay? Because they want to know the boundaries. They want to be secure. And they can only find security when they know where the boundaries are. And so they're going to test them. And if they keep moving and being pushed farther and farther, and if the more they test, the more they are moved, those children don't find security and they don't really feel love. So what are we supposed to do? What's he talking about? I think Solomon is saying this. If you love your child, you will stop them in their tracks when something is not right. It's okay to say no. Stop. This is not right. We're not going any farther down this road. If children grow up never hearing no, they grow up expecting not to hear no. And then communities suffer. God expects parents to humble their children when they get too high. I want, I wanted my children to think confidently of themselves. You want that of yours. But there is a danger when we allow them to develop what becomes an arrogant or conceited mentality about themselves where now they don't care about others because I'm better than they are. God expects us as parents to show them how to be humble, to live in a community of people. And number three, God expects you to put the brakes on when they're out of control. Just slow them down. Just have them step back. Life is so fast and it's going so fast and there's so much happening. Sometimes we just need to stop and, and, and reconsider and rethink and, and just be slow. Wasn't it God who said, be still and know that I am God? That's what God expects of parents. And it's what children should expect 
But why would we think they would want that? Because they're children. They still need to be trained. Just keep working on them. But I want to close to think about us as a congregation of God's people. We love children. You may not know this, but in this church, we have a blessing that very many churches don't have. If we take college students all the way down to newborn babies, we have over 120 precious souls. We love children. We want children to be here. But if we love children, we should pursue them diligently. We should pursue them for Bible classes. Because in Bible instruction, they learn what is right and wrong. I would hope that our Bible class teachers would be actively engaged with our families. Why not contact them when they have children that are the age of the class that you're teaching? Could you not invite them to your class? Could you not say, I would love to have your child in class? I think it'd be a great thing for us to do. As a church, we love children. And we provide service opportunities because in those service opportunities, they learn to be humble. When our youth worked at God's pantry to help set food in place for people who don't have, it gives them a humble understanding of life. There are all kinds of projects that we could do and do, in fact, have, because we love children. And we should diligently pursue children by providing gatherings like this. Because in these gatherings, <laughs> eventually, they learn to be controlled. I love parents who struggle with their children in an assembly. I love it. I hope you're not bothered by it. I think it's a wonderful thing because they are teaching and training and developing. And it might seem like an eternity, but eventually they get it. They get it. I really appreciate those who prepare those bags outside for our children to have. That's a great way to teach them to be connected to spiritual things while we're in a spiritual assembly. 
And it also helps them to be controlled. I think it is far better for our children to be coloring pictures of Bible characters than pictures of Pokemons. I think it is far better for them to be writing words about things in Scripture than just writing words to figure out how to do my letters better and have no connection to Scripture. I happen to know this. If you love children, they could sure use some help on those bags. And if you love children, and you want to be involved in something like that, we have so many kids, and we love them, and they're special. And you think about all the kids who have grown up here and are still here. We want to be people who pursue diligently our children in our homes and in our congregation because that makes them disciplined people. Tonight we're going to talk about what it means for you and me as disciples to be disciplined. But for now, Jesus said, except you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The only way to be in, a, to be in the family of God is to be like a child. That is... To be willing to be trained, to be willing to be taught, to be willing to be disciplined. It begins when you decide to be a child of God, baptized into Jesus, sins are removed, and you're like a child, sinless in the sight of God. Or if you're working on your disciplined Christian life and you need our help, we're here for you as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.